This is the second lesson in a series that we are engaged in that I've termed inward truth. And of course, last week we discussed the biblical narrative that the Lord desired to put truth in the inward parts of people. I cannot think of a more important subject than that of obedience. And while the term is presented in different ways, obedience is the Bible's single pathway to salvation. It is the command for all people, believers, as to how they should live. And finally, Obedience is the only way by which we serve the Lord. Now, I have a couple of regrets um, tonight. My first regret is that not everyone can be present in the building. Um, But I know that many people are still traversing through these very difficult times and, and the maze that is uh, a virus. But more than that, I, my only major regret is that not everyone would hear this Bible study. Now, I do know that there are a few critics that, that would say, well, that's self-serving, that you just want them to hear you. And that is not true at all. Um, the word stands alone. It doesn't really matter who's teaching the word or how it's presented even as long as it's the word and it's done with love, I think um, languages and and presentations uh, probably don't really matter. So if you have friends or if you hear this now or later, I want you to just do yourself and all of your friends a favor by having them Uh, participate and watch and take notes um, concerning this Bible study here tonight. So as we begin, those of you that are watching or you're present, this is a good time to bring a notepad and to write um, particular parts of the Bible study. In fact, my custom has been in, in 20 years to always provide a handout, but the last few months, I've determined not to do that, and I've trusted that you would take the necessary notes. We may get back to a handout where, where you might fill in the blank, but um, if we don't get to that, then maybe you could just take the notes. So the inward part or the truth that should be in the inward heart of people begins with obedience. Now I'm in a little bit of a setup tone so I can easily get very excited about this. But do not mistake my lack of volume fluctuation for lack of intensity because I'm going to methodically walk through this so that no one misinterprets or doesn't hear it. Now, if you're tired and you're, you're weary from a day, hard day, I want my, my 
tone now will also help you to rest, relax, and fall asleep. You can watch it later when you get home or if you're already home. You can wake up and the next day it will be online. Either way, either now or tomorrow morning, I hope that you will take time with a notepad, perhaps even your Bible, as we methodically walk through this second lesson, which is critical. In fact, I could teach this for three months and not exhaust it every service, Sundays and Wednesdays. Just so you know, a couple of points here, just so you know. True obedience is not simply an action. True obedience is a way of living or a way of life. Let's do that again. True obedience is not simply an action. It is a way of life. So, to say I obeyed something is not the same way or not the same thing as living an obedient life. It's the same thing as a thankful person is not thankful during Thanksgiving. They are thankful. It's a way of living. Thankfulness is a attitude. The attitude of thankfulness is greater than the momentary act of saying thank you. You can say thank you and not be a thankful person. All right. I'm, I'm pausing there just to try to see re- any facial expressions. Just, I just want you to know that we are very good at putting on a front to conceal the real heart that we possess. And we don't want to do that. We want to remove the facade and become true Christians and follow true obedience. It's a lifestyle. True obedience is a lifestyle. The, as I've taught in many years past, and I want to reiterate this, the, if you had to boil down or you had to peel away or come to one word that would describe the Old Testament, and I've read it many, many times, if you had to come to one word that described the Old Testament, the word would be remember. The word would be remember. God wanted them to remember. All the festivals, the Sabbath, which is the Jews called Shabbat, the Passover, which was a festival of several days, seven days, of of the second festival, which was 50 days after the first, which was Pentecost, the first fruit. Pentecost was both an offering given and it was the impartation of the law given. God wanted them to remember. Passover has to do with them leaving Egypt. That's how they got out. The tenth plague, the angel that brought death. Everybody remember that? They ate the lamb. They put the blood on the doorpost. And the blood held back the the final curse. They crossed the Red Sea through the water 
which is a type and shadow of baptism. It washed away, wiped out all of Egypt, which is a type and shadow of sin. 50 days later, they got to Mount Sinai, where the law was handed down. Passover and Pentecost, the law was happened. And then finally, in the fall, the Feast of Trumpets is happening. It's, it's, it's also called the Festival of Tents to commemorate that they didn't have a fixed location. Hmm. There's a whole lot of prophetic things here. I'm going to bypass them for another day. That was the final Passover, the third Passover, Sukkot. Can I just give you a little teaser? Would you like a little prophetic teaser? We've already had Passover. That Passover happened when Jesus died. Jesus died on the Passover. You would have thought that the Pharisees would have known this. Pentecost happened on the day of Pentecost where the Holy Ghost was being poured out. That was the second festival. God instituted a law on the hearts of men. The only, the only festival that has not yet taken place is the Feast of Trumpets. But when the final trumpet, the Bible says he's going to blow the trumpet. And when the trumpet of the Lord is blown, we are going to be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Oh, and what is that festival about? I just got chills all over my body. It's to commemorate this mortal flesh is not, this is just a transient temple. But one day we're going to be established forever with a glorified body. (laughs) okay has nothing to do with my lesson but I just wanted to end right there because that's so wonderful let's go home don't want to mess anything up okay if you had to boil the Old Testament down it's remember remember even the Passover dinner if you ever saw the Passover dinner it has items of food on the plates they still partake of it today to remember the food the haste with which they had to leave. That's why they didn't put leaven in their bread and have time for it to rise. All about remembering, remember, remember, remember. But if you had to boil the, the new covenant down, it would be obedience. Remember in the Old Testament led to obedience in the New Testament. Jesus took on the cross, submitted his human will by way of obedience. We spoke about that. The gospel was received by people through obedience. The establishment of the family order comes through the biblical direction, which relies upon obedience. Peter and Paul and the apostles preached a message that entailed the foundation of obeying the tenets which the patriarchs of old laid as a foundation for all future acts of faith. When Philip found the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch had a scroll in his hand. And Philip jumped up into the chariot and said, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian, who was the treasurer of the kingdom of Ethiopia, did not know. 
And the Bible says that Philip taught him or preached baptism from the book of Isaiah so strongly that it was the Ethiopian who said to Philip, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Baptism was found in the Old Testament. The disciples did not have the New Testament. They wrote it. Yes. So, think of all the things. Faith came through obedience. In other words, they obeyed by faith. They acted through obedience. And it was counted. Faith for them. So, the list is endless. So our first lesson spoke of this inward truth, meaning that the inward heart dictates the choices of life. The inward heart dictates, dictates the choices of life. That's why the Bible says guard your heart. Guard it. Guard what gets in there. If you're going to guard your heart, you've got to guard a couple portals that lead to your heart. What are the portals that lead to your heart? Two main portals, your eyeballs and your ears. What you see, what you hear. If you want a pure heart, make a covenant with your eyes, like Job said. I made a covenant with my eyes. If you, if you want to think on good things, listen to good things. If you want to mess up yourself and mess up your heart, open your ears and your eyes to everyone around you. Well... And all the people said amen. And that was 82%. Our first lesson spoke of this. And the case is settled. We must obey the word of God if we're going to be saved or qualify as followers of Jesus Christ. Let's just get real. If you're not in obedience to the word of the Lord, you cannot qualify as a believer or a follower, no matter what you say with your mouth. If you are presented with Christianity, if someone presents you with any form of Christianity that does not entail obedience, then you're probably being presented with a false concept of Christianity. And in the last days, there will be many false teachers and many false concepts. Servants are called servants for a reason. And I'm concerned that sometimes churches, multiple churches, different places, ministers, ministries, leaders, preachers, teachers... Sometimes they present, are you ready for this? A palatable Christianity that simply accommodates the current culture. Did you know that the Bible does not accommodate the Western culture? It never accommodates our Western culture. The fact is, it doesn't accommodate any culture. The Bible is true regardless of where you live, or what time you live, what language you speak, what country that you're from. The Bible is true for all people. So the lesson tonight is not about obedience. We've spoke about that. We'll get into it a little bit here and there, but I'm going to present to you tonight the polar of obedience. I don't know how long I'll go. If I don't get through, then we'll continue next week. To some people, disobedience might be the opposite of obedience. And of course, Theoretically, that is true. However, the actual opposite term for obedience in biblical concept is called rebellion. Everybody say rebellion. 
Does anybody know someone who's rebellious? Are you sitting by someone who's rebellious? Could you just point to them right now and say, I know who that person, my husband. Okay, don't do that. Don't do that. Terrible joke. But thank you for pointing that out for me, everybody. I appreciate that. In our terminology, which also, it, it, it seems, our, listen, our terms, our language right now is in a constant state of flux. We're in a constant state of flux. Terms are being rewritten and redefined every day. Every day. So what I want to do is speak through love. Watch this, everybody. Speak through love and you won't have to worry about what you're saying. Because love is not offensive. Hearts of love are not offensive. But if you don't have love, you better watch what you say every day. Now, don't be ignorant and just say whatever you want. No, think about how does that affect my brother or my sister, people that could be my brother and sister in the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Our terminology is in a flux. So when I say the word rebellion, it seems harsh. To this generation. Disobedience, that's not a good term either, but does not invoke the same feelings as rebellion. No one really wants to be tagged as rebellious. Even still, because of the lack of understanding, I'm plotting now, are you with me? Because of the lack of understanding, the word rebellion is not known as it should be. Furthermore, rebellion is not a passive or benign concept. Rebellion is at the core of all sinful activity. It is a corruption that cannot be dismissed or brushed aside. The bottom line is that hell itself will be filled with rebellious people. So let me just put this into context and read this for you, but I'll put it into context. Let me read it first and I'll put it into context. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 23. This is the prophet Samuel. Samuel said, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Saul is the first king. Saul is commanded to to do something. Saul does not do it because Saul has a thought. I'm going to do it my way. The king justifies himself and he makes a sacrifice. That is a religion. In our terms today, that would be a religious act. There's no amount of religious acts, no matter how good they are, that will ever supersede obedience. You cannot give enough money. You cannot cannot attend church enough, clap, worship, dance, praise, teach Bible studies to rise above disobedience. It's rebellion. Now consider the words of the prophet Samuel. He will relate rebellion to the most demonic deed of his time. Of fact, of all times. And I often wonder why this most profound prophet connected with rebellion, with witchcraft. Commentators and commentaries and biblical scholars have written of soothsayers and the vile practice of witch doctors. The literal interpretation of 1 Samuel 15.23 is this. We read it, we just read it, rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft, stubbornness like sin or idolatry. But the word as actually translates this way, rebellion is witchcraft, stubbornness is idolatry. Which one of you 
has a golden Buddha or a, or a, or a silver rooster or a, a god of wood on your mantle. Hopefully nobody. But idolatry, which we would all say is wrong, rebellion, stubbornness is the same thing. As if you've just brought in an idol into your home, a demonic idol, or you practiced witchcraft. There's much to be said if we dig a little. So tonight, however, we want to just be aware of these dark devices. Witchcraft and witch doctors have been around a long time. Soothsayers. And interestingly enough, King Saul is addressed by the prophet Samuel at the end of it all when the prophet has been dead, died, deceased, and laid to the grave. What happened in Endor, a place called Endor? I'll tell you what happened. Saul the king was so filled with pain and anguish and trouble and needed God and he had been cut off. He had been cut off. That he went to a witch in Endor and had her call up the spirit of the prophet Samuel. Now we don't even know if she had the power to do that. But God allowed it. And the spirit of Samuel stood in front of King Saul. And there was no way back. Witchcraft. The great sin, and if you only, and I'm not going to describe it to you because we don't have time to go through witchcraft. Rebellion is witchcraft. It's a sin. It's horrific. It entails many things that probably is inappropriate to speak of. So, when the scripture describes King Saul's two great sins, it relates them both to witchcraft and idolatry. You should read that scripture again. Witchcraft and the great sin displayed the stronghold of the devil himself. They were tools used by the flesh to produce evil and invoke the wrath of God. Witchcraft and idolatry. So God cut Saul from the monarch as a result of disobedience, rebellion. Today, however, rebellion has been marginalized. And I'll cut to the chase. Chase. Rebellion is not a major subject in our world today. It barely graces the pages of any preacher's notes. No preacher wants to talk about rebellion with the people. It's not a warm subject for guests. Come to my church. Well, we're studying the Bible. What do you say? We're studying witchcraft, rebellion. Pastor's going to point out whether or not you're rebellious. This is not the way, Zig Ziglar did not teach this. How to win friends and influence people by talking about rebellion, rebellious people. Because chances are, uh-oh, I might find rebellion in my life. <laughs> there are few redeeming qualities if it becomes the theme of the lesson or the sermon, so everyone wants to avoid it. We would rather talk about Greater themes, which are wonderful. And I love grace, mercy, love, forgiveness, long-suffering. All those are important. But if you miss rebellion, if you, if you are dealing with rebellion, none of those other things can wipe away rebellion. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's just note a few things here.
Here, I'll just give you three notes, and these are, these are very simplistic. In fact, I, I, I might have covered them, but let's just cover them. Number one, rebellious spirits are not demonic spirits. Don't blame the devil on a rebellious spirit. They are human spirits, and they exist by choice. Number two, rebellion cannot be cast out. You can cast out a demon, you can cast out a devil, but the human spirit resides by your free uh, moral agent status. It must be addressed through repentance and that by yourself. And finally, rebellion is sin. Let's just say it, what it is. Rebellion is sin. All sin will separate you from God. Rebellion. So number one, rebellion is not a demonic spirit. It's not a demonic spirit. It's a human spirit. If, please note this, and, and I, we, we don't say it at our house. Don't think that rebellion is a stage that people grow out of. Oh, they're just 13. They're going through the rebellious stage. They're going to get healed later. Probably not. This is not a stage. This is not like you outgrow it and now you got to get a new pair of shoes. Rebellion doesn't happen when your foot size is six to eight. Uh-huh. Nor is it a season. It is a choice. Rebellion is not something that can be cast out through a verbal preacher or someone else. I cast out rebellion. You can't do that. Because this is choices that we make by ourselves. You have to repent of that to get better. And finally, rebellion is a sin. I want to pause and just talk about... Um, I'm reflecting here a little bit. This lesson that I'm teaching here started when I was a, around 14 and a half, 15 years old. And I was, I've been working on this for a long time. And I went to a seminar and I learned some principles at a seminar. And this lesson that I'm teaching you is decades in the making. It will, if you get a hold of it, it will change your entire life. It'll change how you think. It'll challenge you at times. It will be a convicting word that always comes to the forefront with everything you say. And it'll help guide you. When I was 15, I struggled a little bit with with my response, but I found out that I was in control of my response. And even though I wasn't fully in control or I was in control, but I, I, I didn't gain control of all my responses and I'm still working on that. I know that I cannot blame anyone else for my response. Something is going to happen to me and I can't control what happens to me. But I can control my response. And when I become rebellion, rebellious toward the Holy Spirit, it means that I'm not allowing the Holy Spirit to operate through me. And I reject the Lord's response and I take on my own. I'll come back to that. 
Now, some things within the rebellion concept are not so apparent. It might even be hard to see. What we might typically look for or identify as rebellious behaviors do not always fit into a little good box, a, you know, a, little, a little convenient box. You know, the screaming kid, kicking, throwing. Dad or mother says no. They yell. They say bad things. Well, everybody knows that. The rebellious teenager stage, everybody knows that. Well, not all rebellion fits into that category. And it's convenient for us to put rebellion in those areas so that we don't have to deal with it in our lives. So if we will, let's consider, watch now, self-examination is the way we change our behaviors. Let me just share with you marriage help or relationship help here. Until you're ready to change yourself, you're never going to solve the conflict in your relationship. Because in every argument of every relationship, we have percentages of rights and wrongs. Well, I'm 90% right. You're 10% right. I'm 90% right. You're 90% wrong. Or I'm 100% right. <laughs> you're completely wrong. Um, a little bit of me, a lot of you. Until you're ready to address through self-examination and change yourself, you're always going to have a conflict in every relationship in your life. Because you can't change that person even if you live with them for long periods of time. And anyone who thinks, I'll marry them and then I'll change them after we get married. Well... Good luck. I know, Dad, he's a bad guy. I know he doesn't have a job. I know he doesn't have a driver's license. I know he, I know, I know he kind of still lives in his mom's basement. I know, but when we get married, it's going to be different. No, it's not going to be different because you can't change them. And every time you try to change the people in your lives around you, the more frustrated you get because you want them to respond to you a different way, but you're not willing to respond to them a different way because it didn't start with you. You think it started with them. Now, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. He wants to speak through you. So if you're going to respond to any relationship, you have to look through the eyes and speak through the thoughts, the concepts of the Lord and what he wants to do. And that is a hard thing to do, but you have to work on it every day, every day. The Bible says even a fool, when he doesn't open up his mouth, is considered as wise. So if you're not sure whether you're wise or not, just keep your mouth closed. Everyone think you're smart. But if you know that whatever you say is, you just be careful. Let the filter. And the problem is we respond negatively. And so self-examination is the only way. Self-examination is the only way to heal, to mend, and to make right what's wrong. Self-examination. I've never been a part of an intervention, but I've, I've seen these things take place, interventions. I don't even know how they work. I can promise you right now, 
Of course, I've never watched Dr. Phil. But I can promise you right now, within the span of 30 minutes, Dr. Phil has fixed no one. That is a joke. But that's what we think. We think we're going to watch this movie and there's conflict and then everyone's good. It's not true. That's not, that's not real life. That's not real life. Every day you purposely make a decision. Watch this. Self-help is far more than self-encouragement. But we've been told in America, self-help is to tell yourself, you're good, you can do it. Encourage yourself. That's not true. It's far more than that. It is the identification of actions, thoughts, and motives which are contrary to the Lord. That's how you help yourself. Remove the actions, the thoughts, and the motives which are not like Jesus. That's the best way to help yourself. Not telling yourself you're good. Not telling yourself you're going to be better. Not getting in the mirror and saying you're good. You get in the mirror and you say, like Nona Freeman said, die. Die, self, die. Everybody, get to your mirror tonight and look at yourself and, and say, die, flesh, die. Practice it real loud. Report back to me next week. <laughs> so I'm just going to lay out a few things. This has taken me years and years and years to identify about rebellion. Because I want to tell you, I was so confused. I took people the wrong way and I didn't realize that they were so rebellious. It was rebellion. But I thought it differently and it took me years to figure out that in fact it was rebellion. Here's my first introduction to enough, not just the screaming kid, not just the teenager that's doing all kinds of horrible things, sneaking out of the house. Not, not, not. Here's the first. And this is people who are not young always, who, who, who are actually a little bit more mature, whatever that means. It's the passive aggressive. Hmm. Rebellion through the passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive dispositions where tears, watch this, tears accompany a rebuttal. I just can't do that. I just can't do that. This is very disarming because when a, a rebellious person cries... And they're in, they're rebelling. It makes the receiver feel bad. The passive aggressive person might even smile as they convey their rebellious response. It's confusing, confusing. It's emotion, tears or smiling. It's confusing to the eyes, but the sinful practice can be heard. Oh no, 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 no. No, I don't have to go to church to serve God. Oh, no. I have him in my heart. I don't have to listen to a preacher or a pastor or authority because I love Jesus. Rebellious. Rebellion. Now, it doesn't look like that because that's not the teenager. That is still rebellion, but we are disarmed. They're passive-aggressive. The passive-aggressive person is not the slamming, screaming, fist-pounding person. No, they're, they're rebellious. See, we're creatures of sight. What we see is what we believe. Our eyes lead us, and they always have. Abraham's nephew Lot, he saw the well-watered plains of Sodom. He, his sight led him to his location. It could be that most of our decisions are made via sight. 
What we see is what we desire. Thus, advertisements rule the day when it comes to selling products because we see the product. Now we want that. Our eyes also help us to determine people, even though that can be very shallow. I taught this. I preached this. Even though our judgment may be wrong, our eyes tell us otherwise. Samuel the prophet, anointed faithful, saw Jesse's oldest son. Remember what I preached Sunday. And he, he looked at, at Eliab and thought, that's the next king. David didn't look like a king, but God anointed David. Because we see people and don't recognize rebellion. We see ourselves and we don't recognize rebellion. The passive aggressive person uses both the visual and the emotional response to conceal their rebellious, sinful spirit. Sometimes they offer soft-spoken words. Other times they come with tenderness. However, the spirit behind the presentation is what matters, not the presentation. Presentations can be misleading as they cover the intent. Rebellion is hard to detect when it's made to look like a humble, meek spirit. Ooh. Now I love you but I really have a problem. Oh, the preface just set up the bitter, ugly responses. There's no love there. It's a lie. And now pews, spews all of this nastiness and you walk away wounded and cut. Not better. Not corrected. Mm-hmm. Took me a long time One day, as I was counseling, an individual sat across the way. And she said to me, with tears running down her face, as I showed her the word of God, she said, my heart is right with God, and you're only a man. I don't have to listen to men. You're only a man. I read the Bible. That's an ad hominem argument. Super Taking the scripture, putting aside, and putting the onus on the man. It's ad hominem. It's argument against the man. Now she did it with tears. I felt sick. But in my brain, I said, my brain said to my eyeballs, don't believe her. Rebellion. Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not telling you that women are better than this than men, but they are. I mean, I wouldn't say it out loud, but. (laughs) Who knows? It's. I wouldn't, I never would say that. Um, Let's go to B. A logical approach. Here's, here's a logic. Most men fall into the B category. Logical. Analytical. This type of rebellious person seeks to prove their point rather than submit themselves in obedience. They don't want obedience. So what they do is they turn to the logical approach. They're going to make a case. They say, can we discuss the reasons why I disagree with you? This sounds rational, full of common sense, which incidentally is appealing to the American mind because the American church by and large, we're not servants. We're kings. Oh, no. And so this logical approach, rebellious person, they want to reason with their authority. 
instead of acting on the word of their authority. Still, nevertheless, they are rebellious. Can we talk about this? I've got reasons why I disagree. Maybe we can share. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, not once in my life did I ever go to my pastor and say, Pastor Stark, listen, I think you're wrong. And I just want to describe to you in my 21-point essay why I think we should discuss why you're wrong and I'm right. It's logical. If he was wrong, I tell you right now, I did not open up my mouth to him. I just obeyed because it didn't matter if he was right or wrong. That was never the issue. It was my response to my authority that was the issue. Come to find out he was right. Come to find out he was right. No matter if he was right or wrong, he was right. Come to find out when I rec- oh. When I recognized that he was right, I was anointed with power. I'm just plodding through. Come walk with me. Not everybody's going to receive this. I wish you would take this lesson and share it with everybody you can. Go back over this several times. You've got to have it. You see, the logical approach person the rebellious person, has issues. And the problem arises, of course, when authoritarians dictate, demand, rather than lead with compassion. So it's easy for people to rise up against the authoritarian-type leader. We've all seen it. We know what that is. It's the bully pulpit. It's despicable. Yes, it's destructive. It damages honest leadership and good communication. And it is prevalent in many places. The bully pulpit is not a religious thing. The bully pulpit can be in in businesses, in jobs. It can be in education. The bully pulpit, yes. And what that does is it provokes people to have this logical approach. At the same time, however, rebellion can be hidden in philosophy or thought. And it's usually a response to the bully pulpit or the people who are authoritarians. Are you, are you with me now? The word of instruction then is bypassed by virtue of the logical mind. That's the human mind. They want to reason. Let's have a discussion. Let me just tell you. When David issued the order, no one questioned the word of the king. And when Paul gave the instruction... Nobody questioned the word of the apostle. Why? Why would they not? Because they recognized the authority. That's right. Right now, what we have in all of our churches and all of America is the absence of the recognition of authority. We've dumbed down our authority. We've dumbed down our pulpits. We have that spirit saying, you're just a man or we need to talk. We need to talk. Really? Yes. Many years ago, we were in the North Campus. I was preaching. I probably had only been here maybe a year or two. There was a young man that came. He did not like my sermon. I preached the word. I quoted the word. But he had issues. He came up to the platform after I was done. He was not invited to the platform. And he said to me, right, first thing, I don't like what you preached. And I said, 
Yes, but this is not the place for you to discuss that. And after a couple more instructions, he didn't like it, and, um, and he dismissed my authority from his life. The end of his days, as, as far as I know, was not good, and where he headed was not good. But he dismissed it. He wanted to have a discussion. Let's go on to number C. We'll call this disassociation. Some people are rebellious by disassociation. This is a very clever thing. It happens in a lot of churches. In fact, a lot of apostolic Pentecostal churches have this. Now, I refer to this, you can write this down. I refer to this as the great divide. This is my own working definition. I've developed it over the last 30-something years of ministry. It's the great divide. Disassociation is rebellion. It's a tactic to remove oneself from the authority that has issued something you disagree with, a directive or a command. And disassociation is, is presented thereby freeing oneself from the responsibility of the spoken word they disagree with. Let's do that again. They will divide themselves from their authority in order to retain their feeling of compliance. Now, I've witnessed this many times when people will, they'll have ought and they'll say, well, you know what? I, I really feel like God's leading me to another church. They're rebellious in every way, but they want to present themselves as godly people just looking to get to heaven. I'm just wanting to get to heaven, pastor. And I just feel like I can't get there from that other place. So they disassociate from instruction and directions that they don't like so they can claim obedience. I want to be under a pastor that I can be obedient to. Listen for the words. I want to be under a pastor, I've heard them, that I can be obedient to. What they're saying is, I want a pastor I agree with, an authority I agree with. They will say things like this. I, I just can't sit, sit under a man like that. What if you were in North Dakota, where some of the closest churches are three hours away? We have a friend who lives, and they're a couple hours away from their church. In fact, their property is so large, it takes them 45 minutes to get off of their property from where their house is. Where are you going to go if you don't go there? South Dakota? (laughs) I just can't sit under... Most of the time, what they'll do is they'll devalue the man or the pastor, and they'll say that they believe in obeying God, not men, Once again, here's a disassociation. It's not the man, it's God. Not the man, it's God. That is a very fine line. Be careful. Yes, we obey God, but God gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting the saints, for the edifying the body of Christ, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished on all good works. This is God's plan. Jeremiah 3.15, and I will give the pastors according to my own heart. Paul said, feed the flock over which God has made you overseers. Hmm. So I guess God was wrong for you. He was right for everyone else, but it's, he was wrong for you because you don't have to have a man. It's just really rebellious. 
rebellion is disassociation. This is the way that people move out of, of things they don't want to obey. They just find another place. Obey. If you, if you transfer here from another ministry, you have got to fully adopt me as your pastor. You've got to do that. You've got to pray for me. You've got to pray that God will fix all the things you don't like about me. Just pray. Privately pray. Don't post it on Facebook. Pastor told me to pray for all the things I don't like about him. Here they are. Don't post it. Just pray privately in your prayer closet. Actually in your basement. In the back basement where you keep your canned goods that you haven't. All the, all the stuff. Just You pray for me that God would help me minister to you. I, I've always thought I was a spoonful of sugar. Man, if you can't make it here, there's a, you have no clue. But maybe that's not true. In fact, through Corona, I think the, the sweetener has kind of gone away. It's lemon, <laughs> lemon juice. <laughs> but I remember years ago, someone saying to me, and I said, I'm so glad that you're here at New Life. And they said, all these years, and I said, well, it's wonderful. And they said, well, pastor, you preach what we believe. You preach what we believe. And for a lot of people, that's a good statement. But problem is, I've been around the block many, many times. Many times. Because I got other people in here that I was their only pastor. They didn't know anybody. And they don't don't like me because I preach what they believe. They believe whatever I'm preaching. (laughs) Big difference. See, for the first group, as long as I'm tickling their ears and doing what they already like, I'm good. But the moment I tread off on something that kind of grinds them, I'm not good. But the people I've baptized and the people I've won to the Lord and the people I've taught a Bible study to, and they don't know who was in the ark until I told them who was in the ark, they're happy. If I tell them Abe Lincoln was in the ark, Jonah, Moses... They're happy. And they'll argue with you. And they'll say, Benjamin Franklin was in the ark. of Because my pastor told me that. Praise God, I want that. Now, of course, we want to, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I might take a little heat for that. I'm exaggerating. And I know that you've, some of you have had other pastors. And that's okay. Wonderful. Just adopt me. You've got to adopt me into your heart. So that I can speak the word. But if you disassociate. And disassociation happens in a number of ways. It can also happen when you have. When you have pastor's children. Pastor's nephews. Pastor's grandchildren in the church. I am a pastor's son. My, my father is a retired pastor. And pastor's children can be the greatest assets any church has ever seen and they can be the the worst nightmare any church could ever see because a pastor's kid or a anyone who has a pastor or a preacher in their family they can do the in round and stiff arm me and say i know what you said pastor but i'm going to go ask my uncle i'm not the final word but there's a few people in here that i am the final word watch this if my my authority was wrong and I was obedient I was blessed I'm blessed anyway this is the lesson I learned at 15 
If my authority was wrong and I was obedient, God dealt with my authority and he blessed me. But if I disobeyed my authority, God dealt with my authority and then he dealt with me. How are we doing? Uh, it's 7.23. I feel like I'm, I should be done. I'll, I'll finish this, this fourth one and then we'll have to pick up next week. The fourth aspect of the rebellious spirit is grudgingly obedience. Grudging obedience or grudgingly obedient. And some folks say, what are you talking about? They did what you said. Remember the story of the, of the little boy and the mom and the mom said, sit down. He didn't want to sit down. Finally, he sat down and he said to her, I'm sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm still standing up. Oh. See, the term here is simplistic. Following, watch this. You should write this down. Following with dissension. If you say, I'm only doing this because you want me to. I'm only doing it because you asked me. You know I do not like to hold the door for people. But I'm obedient. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're rebellious. You're doing the act without the heart of the act. And you all say, well, God looks on the heart. You better be very careful before you quote that. Be very careful. Because the fact is, he does look on the heart. And you might be doing things without a heart to do them. Well, pastor said I had to pick up these chairs. I don't want to. I I don't want to be part of that ministry. They needed somebody. I'm obedient though. No, you're not. You're doing an act and you're following with dissension. This is a compromise of sorts. As the rebellion is cloaked in consent. Seeing that there is, watch this. No conformity of the heart. Compliance usually runs its course. If the heart is not conformed, compliance runs out. Eventually you won't do what you've been asked to do. This type of rebellion tries to manage both agreement and disagreement. So they can say they've obeyed, but still retain their own identity. You know, I'm not that kind of a person, but I do it. I do it. I don't really wash dishes, but I do it. Thank God Mary didn't say, I don't do virgin births. Thank God Jesus said, didn't say, I don't do crosses. <laughs> Thank God Peter said, you know, I don't really do preaching. <laughs> Thank God Moses didn't say, I don't cross waters. I don't like rides. No. Rebellion can still be present in the people who are doing the act of obedience. They're grudgingly obedient. They're angry. They're gritting their teeth. They're grinding it out. They're mad that they have to do it because someone in authority told them, and they know it's right. I know my my mother and father taught me I have to do what's right, even if I don't like it. Uh Uh-oh. You should never utter those words. Guard your heart. Never... You say, 
I don't, I do it because I, I do it because you said it and I don't like it. Don't let that come out of your mouth because that's a grudging spirit. And usually it's not prevalent in children. It's prevalent in adults when we become older and mature. Once again, maturity. It's not all it cracked, it's cracked up to pee. People probably aren't as mature as they think they are. Don't think that because you're older, you're more mature. You're just older. I got it right here. But that don't mean I know what I'm doing. In fact, Pastor Mooney told me years ago, he said, I knew, I knew some guys that were ignorant when they were 30 and they were ignorant when they were 60. Yikes. Get better. Do better. Rebellion will destroy your walk with God. Rebellion is sin. It is witchcraft. So I, I just, I just got to review this real quickly. This passive aggressive thing. This emotional response with a hatefulness in it. This logical analytical approach. This reasoning out. I'm just a logical person. I'm a left brain person. I don't care if you're left brain, if you're right brain. I don't care if you're middle brain. I don't care if you're scrambled brain. There is no genealogy, no ethnicity, no no hemisphere of the brain that ever, that ever justifies rebellion. But I've heard it. I'm German. I got Apache in me, pastor. Really? That, that's, that's the reason why you're rebellious? That's right. Because my dad brought me up that way. Well, how about trying to be a new creature in Jesus Christ and stop blaming everybody that came before you? you you're blood-bought. Now you got to work on every day. You were bought with the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ and He cleansed you. And now don't go back to all that stuff. Say, I am brand new. I'm born again of the water of the Spirit. The blood has been applied to my mind and my heart and my body. Now I got to work on it. And disassociation. Well, I'll just, I'll just move over here. I don't, I'll just go over there. I'll find me a new lead. Listen, if you're doing that, you'll never ever be settled and you will fulfill the prophecy of the end time when the Bible says they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears. Let me just translate it. At the end time, they don't want straight teaching of biblical concepts. So they'll hire teachers or preachers that make them feel good good and make the sound of their words make them feel good it'll be disassociation until they hire their own pastor i was called to the ministry not hired in the ministry i was called to be i'm holding an office of the five offices i'm holding an office not because i was good not because i was inherently right not because i grew up in the home of a pastor but i was called by god to do it from my mother's womb Like Paul said, I was called from my mother's womb to do this. To be here. I still, even in my life, still, I must associate with my authority. And I do almost on a weekly basis. 
Because I want to be right with my authority. Because if I'm not right with my authority, I have no right to be, I have no authority among you. And if I'm not giving in my tithing, I cannot tell you to give in your tithing. If I'm not fasting in my own life and praying, I cannot ask you to fast and pray. Because I refuse to be a hypocrite. And it burdens me that the church will be rebellious. Because they want to disassociate themselves with authority. Just want you to know that's not how I live. That's not how I live. Finally, to wrap up this obedience factor, oh my, this obedience thing, it's got to be done with joy. It's got to be done with joy. Why? Because it's the kingdom work. It's kingdom work. And I, I preach it. I wish you'd go back to these sermons and, and, and hear them. They're like, they're like me writing a song. I'm writing a song. And can you imagine being a songwriter and only getting to sing your song one time? <laughs> what a horrible thing. What a horrible feeling. But I preach this in this house. I've talked about it. If, if you're only doing a ministry that fulfills you, you're probably not doing a ministry. You're just doing something that fulfills you. If you say, well, I don't want to do that because I don't get much satisfaction out of that. Wait a second. It's not about my satisfaction. It's about the ministry. It's about helping people. It's about helping people. If you say, well, I don't, I don't even like children. You're the perfect candidate. <laughs> I'll do it if you want me to. No, wait a second. I'm doing it. I don't want to do it. Wait a second. No, no, no. No, that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. We are in the kingdom. We're going to do anything to get the kingdom going and to reach the lost and to love the people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what my personal likes are. Obedience is only validated through joy, not grudgingly, not grinding. No, no. And my pastor said to me, Jeffrey, I need you to go do that. My pastor's told me, Jeffrey, I want you to get that metal box and I want you to bring it to the conference so we can put money in it. This big metal box. Nobody bought anything. Maybe 10 bucks. I could have put it in an envelope. And I had a nice suit and a nice tie on carrying around a big honking metal box. I did not want to carry around a metal box for 10 bucks. I could have put it in my pocket. (laughs) And the thought came to me. Why can't I just... Put it in my pocket. But my pastor, with his big eyes and eyebrows, said, I want you to get that metal box from the office of the church and bring it down to Lancaster. And I put that metal box in the car and I brought it to key, lock, key, 10 bucks for the lock and key, big metal box carrying this honking thing around. Didn't match my outfit. I didn't have any joy in that, but I knew that was my pastor. So you know what I did? I said, oh no, I am going to carry that like it's the Ark of the Covenant. I'm going to walk around this metal box. I'm going to have this thing like I am a secret service and I've got the secret code to all the nuclear weapons in the world. I'm going to carry this sucker around. I'm going to have joy. I'm going to ask people, guess what's in the box? 
That's what I did. Carry around the box. Pray for the box. Bring the box to the altar. Carry, I don't care. But I want to tell you what I'm going to do. What I'm not going to do. I'm not going to disobey my authority and be rebellious. Because that would be sin and witchcraft. Please stand with me now. Just, just submit yourself to the Lord. We, we haven't even gotten done. But let's just submit ourselves to the Lord right now. Father, we pray right now. Do something in our lives, Lord. Teach us something now. The power of this obedient spirit to crucify the flesh. I crucified the flesh. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth within me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified. I'm crucified. I crucify myself right now. Flesh die. Rebellion die. Let obedience and joy rise up right now. I pray, search my heart. Let me guard this heart, Lord, what I hear and what I see, so that I'm following the will of God without rebuttal or rebuke. I pray that in Jesus' name. I pray it in Jesus' name. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just put your hand on yourself wherever you are and just say, I want truth in my inward man, my inward woman, my inward heart. Say it. I want truth inside. Truth inward. Inward truth. Inward I want it not to come from the outside. I want it to come from the inside. I want truth to come from the heart. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.